So I want to talk to three people this morning. I want to talk to the wounded, I want to talk to the worried, and I want to talk to the lonely. The wounded are those who've been hurt badly by someone else, and they carry that pain with them each and every day. Uh, the worried are those who can't seem to shake their fears and their anxieties. And the lonely are those who feel unseen, unwanted, unnoticed. And it just so happens that, that those three people are, are some who feel a particular amount of pain this time of year. And yet, as we wrap up this teaching series that we've been in throughout Advent, it ends with, with promises, with, with truths that can provide deep comfort to these people. It, it ends with truths that can help shape the perspective of, of the wounded and the worried and the lonely. And after all, that's what faith is. Faith is walking through this world with a different perspective, seeing your pain, seeing this planet, seeing the life we're called to live through the lens of certain truths, truths that change everything. And so let's start with those who are wounded. God's promise for you in today's text is this. You are guests at God's great banquet. If you are wounded, you are a guest at God's great banquet. You'll notice that David makes a change in the second half of Psalm 23. He, he shifts, he changes the metaphor. He goes from talking about the Lord as a shepherd and us as his sheep to now the Lord is, is the host of a great banquet and, and we are the guests at that banquet. Uh, let me read it again. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The promise is this. If you belong to God, though you are hurt, though you are wounded, though you carry pains and problems, that is not the primary identifier for you. The Lord is the host of a great banquet and he has invited you. And it's not just some kind of mediocre party. It's not like some, some, some bad wedding reception where there's cold chicken cordon bleu and cheap beer. It's a good party. There's a really seriously good steak and a host of IPAs and really expensive Italian wines. Not only is it a really good party, but you are not just a guest. You as God's people, you are the guest. You're the guest of honor. We know that because when David says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, that's a signifier in ancient culture that you were the guest of honor. In an ancient dry and dusty world, when you were welcomed into a prestigious party, your head would be anointed with oil as a way of relieving some of your stresses and pains. It was a sign that you were important. Likewise, the fact that your cup was never empty, but the best wine was always relentlessly being poured into it meant you were a person of importance. You are are the guest of honor at God's great feast. But it's not just any feast. It's a victory feast. David says, you, Lord, you, you host me at a party in the presence of my enemies. It's not as though the enemies are also at the table eating with you. No, this is a victory celebration. The host has defeated your enemies and holds them captive, and now you celebrate in their presence to rub it in their face. That's what's happening here. If you are wounded, it means somebody hurt you deeply. Or something terrible happened to you, and you carry the pain from that with you every single day. Maybe it was, 
Maybe it's a spouse who cheated on you or a terrible, tragic loss that you suffered. It could be a family member who was supposed to protect you, who ended up harming you. It could be a friend who turned their back on you. God's promise, however, is that the defining characteristic of your life is not that you are a victim of what they did. The promise is that God will defeat all the things that seem as though they have done you in. And the primary theme of your life will not be victimhood, but victory in God. And the theme of your life will not only be victory, but it will be one of celebration rather than sorrow. There will come a day where God will bring justice to all the wrongs that have been done to you. And you will enjoy a celebration with him into eternity. You are not merely what has been done to you that has hurt you. You are a guest at the feast of God where he's conquered your enemies and he feeds you good things. To the worried, God's promise is this, that you are being chased by his grace. If you carry worries and fears and anxieties, God's promise to you is that he is chasing you down with his grace. I know that's a strange turn of phrase, but but, but I'll make it make sense. Uh, Worries and fears have all sorts of different sources. Some of our worries come from, some of our worries come from fears themselves. You know, you might be worried and anxious that the the kids are going to give COVID to grandma at the family Christmas party. Uh, some, Some worries come from guilt. This may be the first Christmas where you and your spouse are spending it separately and you feel guilty that the kids are having to bounce between two different homes to celebrate the holidays and you are, you're worried about what that, what that uh, is going to do to the kids. It may be that you have worries and anxieties due to shame that you feel. Not too long ago, maybe you, you blew up your life with, with bad decisions financially and a, a little too much drink and partying. And you're anxious and you're worried about whether or not you'll be able to put all the pieces back together. And the thing about worries and anxieties is that they never take a day off. They're always finding something to be worried and anxious about. And yet this is God's promise to the worried and anxious, uh, to the fearful and the guilty and those who have shame among us. He says this in verse 6. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This, in my opinion, is one of the most severely under-translated verses in all of the scriptures. Verse 6 is a powerful verse, but it has so much more power packed into the original language. When it says that, that goodness and mercy shall follow me, the, the, the word that's used for mercy is the Hebrew word chesed, which is like a $50 word. It carries a ton of meaning. It's one of the most important words in the Old Testament. The word chesed means the unrelenting, never-ending kindness of God. It's his attitude of kindness toward his people that never takes its foot off the gas. That's what that word means. And it says that will follow you all the days of your life. But it's more than just follow. I mean, that word in the original language means more than follow. It means to pursue you. It means to chase you. It means to run after you. The never-ending kindness of God will be chasing you down all the days of your life. That's what this means. Uh, A couple of months ago, I was watching uh, football. And uh, I saw a great image of what this verse is actually trying to convey. 
It was such a perfect image of this kindness and goodness of God chasing down his people despite their worries and sins and struggles that I had to take a clip of it and just turn it into a meme, so please indulge me, but I think the image will last for you. Go, go ahead and show this. This is from a Seahawks game a couple months ago. So there's you grabbing onto all your worries, and you're running with them, but here comes God's grace and his goodness, and it's going to get you, and it's got you. Now, that to me is so good, it's worth watching again. So let's cue it right back up. So this is you insisting on holding on to your worries and your fears and your anxieties, and here comes God's grace just running you down, and it's got you. For, for those who are worried and anxious, the fear is that you will get stuck in a place of, of terror, of tragedy, of, of something you can't control that is not good. That's the fear. And, and, and the truth is, you may end up in a bad place. Things may never get better with the kids. You may never fully recover from the poor choices that you made. Someone may get sick. But God's grace is so unrelenting. His goodness in all of its forms is so unrelenting that no matter where you end up, it will find you there. It will find you there to forgive you. It will find you there to remind you of all the things that are still true for you. It will find you there to tell you that he still loves you. Surely, goodness and the nonstop kindness of God will chase me down all the days of my life. Wherever I end up, he'll be there with me. That's God's promise to the worried. And to the lonely, God's promise is this. You're never far from his presence. I know it might feel like the whole world is far away, but you are never far from his presence. You know, I wonder if this might not be the, the loneliest Christmas that the world has ever experienced, at least those of us who are alive right now in the world. In case you forgot, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic. And no matter how you feel about the virus, it's taken a toll on how people celebrate the holiday. I was having a conversation with my mom last week about my 96-year-old grandfather up in Michigan, uh, where, where they're on a pretty serious lockdown and the, the virus is kind of rearing its ugly head and, and how my grandfather is going to spend this Christmas by himself in order to be safe. And that's just terrible. And he's certainly not alone in that. And, and yet, isolation aside, COVID aside, you can feel lonely in a crowd, can't you? You can be surrounded by a big family at a big family party and still feel lonely. You can have a whole lot of coworkers giving you a whole lot of stuff to do before you go on Christmas break and still feel lonely. You can sit next to people that you call your friends in church on Advent and still feel really lonely. Loneliness is, is more than being isolated. It's feeling like nobody sees you, no one knows you, no one understands the hurts in your heart, the burdens that you carry. It's feeling alone in that sense. But listen to the second half of verse 6. The second half of verse 6 says this, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oftentimes people will interpret that as, as, as God promising this. God will allow you to be in a never-ending church service. 
For many, that doesn't sound like a promise. That sounds like a punishment. <laughs> Some people are like, I've been in church services like that, Pastor Matt. <laughs> David's not talking about a, a church service. Remember, in, in the time David is writing this, God's presence was found in one place. It was found in the temple, the house of God. And so if you wanted to be near God, you had to travel to God. You had to go to the temple to be near him. So anytime in the Old Testament where it's talking about being in the house of the Lord, it's not just talking about being with God in eternity in the end. It's not just talking about being with God in worship in the temple or in church. It's talking about being near to God in general. It's about being in God's presence. And, and prior to Jesus, in order to be near God, you had to travel to God in the temple. But now with the fullness of Jesus who has arrived and he's unlocked this whole new experience of the divine, now God comes to us. And no matter where we are, even alone, God is near. In fact, you can make a case that he's nearer to the lonely than anyone else. I mean, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And David, in later Psalms, he says, blessed are the brokenhearted, for God is near to the brokenhearted. And near is good. Because near means he can see you. And so often when you're lonely, that's just what you want is to be seen. Does anyone understand? Near means that he can hear you, like when you cry out. It's not just going out into this empty void. Near means that he's close enough to lean down into your ears and your heart and to remind you of all the things that are true for you, even though everybody else overlooks you. Near means that no matter where you go, even if you're alone, if you sit in a, if you sit in a lonely house, If you sit in an empty room, you are still in the house of the Lord because you are never far from his presence. Never. Now, what makes these promises so important this time of year is not just because the, the, the wounded and the worried and the lonely feel a little more pain this time of year, given all the celebration. It's because Christmas is what, is, what, is what makes these promises more than promises. You could say that the birth of Christ turns these promises that, that David talked about in the 23rd Psalm, turns them into actual, like, presents, actual gifts that, that we can hold on to, and we can grasp with our hands and our hearts, and we can, we can experience something right here and right now in a way that David himself wasn't able to. See, when David wrote about this, he was looking forward to something that would happen that would make all of this tangibly true for him and for the world. Well, that something has happened. Jesus Christ has been born. And so now all the things that David was looking forward to in this psalm are now ready and available and can be accessed and experienced by us now. So, so if you are wounded, if you're carrying pain, the birth of Jesus means that your enemies, whatever your enemy is, has already been conquered in his death and resurrection. Your enemy has been confronted and conquered in Jesus Christ. And there is victory today for you. What they did to you does not own you. What Christ has done for you owns you. And he sets up a table for you today. We, we, we were just at it, the Lord's table where you get to feast on that victory. 
Now, now it's a temporary table. There will come a day when Jesus comes back and the victory is completed and experienced in all of its fullness. And it's a table that never, ever goes away. But there's victory for you to taste today nonetheless. Because Christ is born. And if you're, if you're worried, if you're anxious... Christ being born means that God's love is so unrelenting. His willingness to chase after the people that he loves is so deep and so profound that he would chase humanity into this worried world and join us here. You want to know how far he'll go to chase you down? He'll be born as a baby in a back alley of Bethlehem to be here for you. And that's a thousand times better than sprinting 50 yards across the field to make a tackle. He's in the worries with you. And if Christ is born, if you feel alone, it means that at the very least, the God of the universe has seen your loneliness. He's seen all of our struggles and he's decided to join us here, to get close to us here. Everyone else might overlook you. Jesus has joined you. That's what it means. And so if you, if you, are, if you, are, if you are wounded, if you're worried, if you're, if you're lonely, I think there's, there's an opportunity for you at Christmas when, when all this stuff, all these, these, these promises become truths for you. And again, it's so important to understand that these things I'm sharing with you are more than just kind of ethereal promises. They're, they're things you can draw tangible, daily hope from. Like, I remember the, like, the worst Christmas present I received. No offense to my mom if she's watching the live stream. Love you. Um, but the worst Christmas present I ever received, I was 12 years old. And I think I've shared with, this with you before, but I'm not over yet, so it's worth saying again. <laughs> the worst present I got when I, was, when I was 12 years old, it was a gift certificate for a bowling ball. Not an actual bowling ball, as if that wouldn't have been amazing, but a gift certificate for a bowling ball. It wasn't even a gift certificate. It was a piece of paper that my parents wrote on that said, your dad's going to take you down to the lanes and get you a bowling ball. My parents did the best they could. I love them. But that's kind of one of those promises that is kind of like, ah, that's tough to hold on to. This is not that. Christ has been born, it's historical fact, which means that everything that is promised in him is now true, true, tangible for us. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this, this is a verse worth memorizing, that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. They're yes for you, the wounded, the worried, and the lonely. Which means, I think, back to my point, that there is a choice for you in this season. Where will your focus be? Will you focus on what is wrong this Christmas? Or will you focus on what is true for you because of Christmas? I don't want to make light of any of the pain that you carry, but, but in the midst of our pain, we have... We have some freedom, and we have the ability to, to make a choice about what lens through which we'll view our pain, what perspective 
from which we will perceive our pain. And that's what faith is. It's a certain perspective. It's a certain lens through which we look at the same, the same bad world everybody else has to trudge through. Will your focus be on what's still wrong? Or will your focus be on what is true for you because of Christmas? Will you pull your focus and everyone else's focus to the wounds of your past? Or will you focus on the fact that victory is yours? Will you focus on the things you can't control that keep you up at night? Or or will you focus on the fact that God is pursuing you and no matter where you end up, he'll be with you? Will you focus on all the people who don't see you? Or will you hold tight to the promise that God will never, ever leave you? When someone asks you the inevitable question, how you doing? Will you, will you say, I'm, I'm wounded, I'm worried, I'm lonely? Or at the very least, will you say to yourself, I am wounded, but I'm victorious. I'm worried, but I'm pursued. I'm lonely, but God is with me. It makes all the difference in the world. Look, look, I know that this time of year can be really difficult to, to, to celebrate if you're one of these three people. You can feel like you're celebrating Christmas poorly or wrongly. Like the only right way to celebrate Christmas is to put up lights like everybody else or to, uh, to have a cute family picture in matching pajamas like everybody else or to get a bunch of presents for nieces and nephews that you don't really see and who are kind of annoying like everybody else or to, or to fake your way through a socially distanced holiday party like everybody else. That, that unless you can do that, that you're not celebrating Christmas the right way. But if Jesus Christ is really born, then none of that stuff has anything to do with celebrating Christmas the right way. Did you know that? Those are just the trappings of the cultural, the cultural celebration of Christmas. No, celebrating Christmas the right way, celebrating Christmas the right way means setting aside all those things except for your pain, except for your hurts, except for your needs, except for your wants of soul, except for your unfinished business and your unmet needs, and taking all those things to the manger, taking your wounds and your worries and your heartaches, take those things to the manger, and you say thank you. Thank you for coming here for me. That's what it means to celebrate Christmas the right way. Everything else is just tinsel on the tree. I know the trappings of this year can make it tough for you. But if your heart is heavy or anxious or alone, know that the gift of Christmas is perfect for you. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the arrival of your son, and we ask that you would, you would open our hearts to see it fully, to see it as the gift of victory in the face of our struggles, to see it as your pursuit of us, to see it as, as you joining us in our loneliness. Father, I pray for those whose hearts are particularly heavy this time of year. And I ask that you would open the eyes of their heart and mind to perceive your presence and your deep, unrelenting love for them. And that you would move among the rest of us to be your hands and your feet and your voice reaching out to them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.